Hello and welcome to Tales from the Engine Room, where we meet the people who make up the SCIF, a co-working community in central Brighton. Designing services or public policy, it's not about things just looking pretty, like if they don't work, people have bad experiences, there'll be real consequences for people's lives. I'm Caroline Bevan, I'm a digital storyteller and I'm a member at the SCIF too. Across this series of interviews we'll meet freelancers, remote workers, solopreneurs and small team leaders asking them the question, what are you working on today? This week we meet Becky Miller, a multidisciplinary designer working for DEFRA, the UK government's Department for Rural Affairs, and find out why research is so important in her design process. Today I'm working, well I work remotely, so working kind of collaboratively, kind of tag team with um, a user researcher on my team, and we are together putting together a research plan to go out and speak to the people that we're designing services policy for at the moment. I can't be too specific. <laughs> yeah, so working really closely with them, putting, a, uh, putting kind of a plan together that will then hopefully next week start going out on recruiting participants and putting together discussion guides and that kind of thing, but with a view to designing something. So that's why kind of working, I always found it really good to work researcher and designer kind of hand in hand from the research all the way through to design yeah I think that's that's something that some designers don't even think about is they just you know they're given a brief they do the work they create the thing and maybe it's it's not part of the the original brief but they, they don't sometimes think about the, the use of it you know the users what they want from it is that is that the kind of thing that you're, you're getting into or is it far more complicated than that in terms of the research and, and use yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely an emphasis on, yeah, the users. And I guess when you say, often when you take it back and people say, well, you're a designer, then people do think of, like, aesthetics and making stuff look pretty. Yes. Which is, like, yeah, it's definitely beyond that, and it's kind of making things work well. And if you're going to make anything work well, whether it's a piece of furniture or a poster or a piece of public policy, you need to go and speak to the people who are going to be using that thing at the end of the day. Otherwise, you know, you'll put a lot of effort in and it probably won't work as you expected. Um, so it, it's all about like de-risking what you're doing like by going and speaking to people. And I suppose actually still the research kind of gets siloed and often it's, it's kind of researchers do the research and then it gets handed over to designers. But I've always worked in quite small organisations and, and when studying, you kind of do the research yourself. That's part of the design process. Um, I really value working with researchers because they're more expert than me in research um, but certainly in order to translate research into actually delivering and designing something it makes sense to work like hand in hand researcher and designer through the research and design process if that makes sense. That's great so how, so how does that help in terms of your design process you know traditionally it would be research is done report is given or information is given and then designer runs off and, and designs it is it literally you, you will bounce ideas between each other you will say does how does this work and are you going through rounds of research as the idea develops or as the work develops yeah ideally like i've always seen research as a very iterative process and even the whole design process like everything you're doing even if you're making prototypes they're like research probes in a way and everything you're doing whether it's research right at the beginning or yeah, later prototypes, they're all just building your understanding of your users and your subject area and you're de-risking the thing that you actually kind of put out there live. But even when something's live, you know, you're still, you should still be getting feedback on that and constantly iterating it. So yeah, ideally loads of rounds of research, but when you work in big organisations, you also have to get permission, you know, to do each round of research. So currently, I, I don't know if we'll, how many rounds of research there will be. 
until we you know sometimes need to write we need to deliver something so um always advocate for doing stuff kind of small and quick and agile rather than making you know plans behind closed doors and then make putting something live because that's kind of more risky i've never met a designer who has such a hands-on role in terms of the almost the the steps before most designers are approached you're you're really getting under the hood of of the problem and solutions and working with researchers and that's such an interesting process which a lot of designers wouldn't have a a role in that or so that's mm. fascinating that you've you've got that um that relationship with your researchers it's not always like that i should say actually though because i do i do find still that there's this thing of like oh user researchers do that bit and then we'll bring a designer in but i i find it really difficult to operate in that way because when you're doing the research and you're out speaking to real people um for me that's when the insights start to emerge and that's when the design starts to happen you'll start to like join up the dots and you'll be like oh yeah this and you're learning and like almost the design starts to emerge through the research process it's not like I think lots of people well historically you know designers have been like these like design superstars I think designing services or public policy things that really need to work and it's not about things just looking pretty like if they don't work people have bad experiences there'll be real consequences for people's lives so you have to be viscerally for me as a designer I have to be viscerally involved in the research because that's where it starts so did you have any experience of the farming community before you had this job? Is it something that you were passionate about to start with or was it, did it just sound like an interesting role in its own capacity? I was asked if I wanted to work on the farming programme, which is really topical. And I grew up in the countryside in a small village. So I know farmers and my aunt and uncle were dairy farmers. And okay. yeah, so I was like, that, yeah, I definitely have a connection to that in the countryside. Um, so that's yeah, definitely. Nice. Feel, and I'm quite. I've always been passionate about the environment as well. And obviously, that's how we use the land in the country is like key to kind of whether we're able to meet our net zero and biodiversity yeah. targets. And yeah, so that, I think it's a really interesting space to be to be working in at the minute. How do you feel that your family connection to that to that sector and and you know having relatives who were who are farmers and, and dairy farmers? Is that something that has just brought so much more insight? You know, if I ended up working on a job with farmers, I would have no clue about the challenges or the pitfalls or the personalities or the the culture of it. So has that been a a real benefit that you've got some family experience in that area? Um, I think it helps being able to genuinely say that when you're speaking to farmers because there there is understandably like a disconnect between, you know, people designing policy or services for them and you know, their actual experience on the ground. So it helps to kind of build trust yeah. with your users. I really hate the word users, mm-hmm. farmers. But that said, until I started doing this role and getting under under the hood of like what it is to run a farming business, which is what it is at the end of the day, yeah. I didn't have all that insight and um, no. I didn't really understand the challenges and, and how tough it is for them. With any design project I've had, like, almost the first thing I want to do is immerse myself in that in that landscape of whatever you're designing and yeah I think people maybe sometimes don't do it because they're like scared of it because it is a bit feels a bit scary you're going into someone else's space I guess it's a research activity isn't it I'd take that approach on any project I did a project around how would you get more people cycling and so for that I just kind of like went and talked to loads of different 
I was in London at the time, so I went and kind of spoke to different bike hire companies, but shadowed cycling officers and cycling groups just to like, understand what the lived experience is like for the kind of people that you're trying to help or understand. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And you made a really interesting point earlier about how this research informs the design process and gives you ideas and, and it actually fuels your creativity. For me it's like that's where the gold dust lies and even like the difference between like kind of user research. I, I learned a lot about ethnography in recent years and that going in with a really open kind of more of an open led by the participant type research. Um, they often reveal those like unknown unknowns that you weren't expecting to hear, but actually that's like the gold dust where you actually realise, ah, that's actually, we need to kind of pivot and that's kind of where we're going to have more impact. Um, that's what would really help people. It feels more logical to me. It's like, well, of course, when you, it's just that process of listening to people and observing and spending time with people. Right. I don't think any of it's rocket science, basically. It's all quite logical if you think it through and it's like, oh yeah, otherwise, if you just sit there in, in isolation and I'm a designer, I'll come up with an idea, I'm really creative. It's like, it, it's just more risky. You're just guessing really yeah. at the end of the day. Is, is this the biggest organisation you've you've worked for? Or do you have a history in working for kind of big, no? No, yeah, I've, I've only worked, I think I'm up for coming up five years. Yeah, so before that I worked in very small organisations <laughs> and not really as a designer per se either, so, but always, originally trained in design um, that's what brought me to Brighton but it was a very practical course very hands-on making stuff in the workshop and it w didn't really lend itself to being easily employed as a designer <laughs> artisan <laughs> yeah um, although I'd always been like very kind of like critical designer has really like interested on in social issues and why are we making more stuff yeah and that kind of stuff um, and kind of self-taught skills of graphic design and web design you know but it, it was really hard to get a job as a designer off the back of that um, so I just ended up working in lots of small organisations, but always with that kind of how can we make things better, doing bits of graphic design and just, yeah, guest and doing kind of service design, but without realising it. Okay, so what, what were your job titles and what did you end up actually doing? <laughs> I've been like a, a PA to a designer, that was my first job. Um, and yeah, ended up designing a website and doing some graphics and branding and also doing the company's environmental policy. They didn't have one, it was a furniture design place. Um, and also like doing their kind of CRM system, boring, but again that is kind of design and the basis of a yeah. lot of like services or businesses, yeah. isn't it? your bedrock of your kind of foundation of your customer database. Um, and then I've worked in lots of cafes and shops in between, you know, yeah. and lots of internships. But then I did a stint in a music venue in London, which mm. was, I guess, multi-service organisation, if we want to frame it through service design. Yeah. That was a lot of, um, that's probably my best job ever because it wasn't all just behind a screen there was lots of people and we had amazing shows we kind of you know gave people amazing experiences in this beautiful building oh, which venue was it it was union chapel in london oh i've heard beautiful things about that venue yeah it's a really special place i felt like privileged to kind of be there for a few years i learned so much again there was only like a very very small team of us behind the scenes so if you could See the opportunity for, to improve things then you could just kind of get on and do it like for example it's a really old listed building so it's really hard for people who are coming with um disabilities or in wheelchairs so how can we make this better so there's this one lady who always came around the backstage door and we just like user research had a conversation with her and yeah. understood like literally walked along through the venue with her and she was describing you know her pain points and stuff so didn't realize but that's kind of like a 
classic kind of service design type approach to solving problems so yeah did a lot of that kind of stuff without realizing it but in practice yeah that's fascinating mm. that's fascinating so now obviously you work for defra you work in a part of a big team but you are remote are you entirely remote apart from when you're in the field so you're here based at the skiff variety for me is is really important when it comes to where i work so um yeah i can't work at home the whole time I, but yeah this kind of for me it's a combination between home the skiff and in the summer jumping on my bike one or two days a week works really well that mm. sounds lovely what is it about this place the skiff itself because uh, you know everyone uses it in different ways everyone's got different things they need from it i like it because everyone else is working and really focused and I get distracted so easily. So mm-hmm. the fact that I'm in a room full of people with their headphones on and big monitors, it's like, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, and I'll sit down and work. What does it do for you, this coming to the skiff? Yeah, definitely, definitely that we described. So everyone else is is working, that's easy. Um, that makes it easier. But I think because I live on my own, it's it's the social aspect, which is really nice. Um, it's also the, the mix of different people. I love the fact we have the show and tells here. So coming somewhere like this where you've got a whole range of freelancers, people working for different organisations, um, it just reminds you of that there's other things outside your big organisation. And it, it kind of, um, yeah, I just think it's just really, it's really inspiring and it helps lighten my day. Ooh. Conversations aren't all about working in the organisation you're in different ways that people are working what they're working on I find that I just think that's also a really important part of being a creative person is exposing yourself to things outside your bubble um, and this totally. is perfect for that so yeah I love it and it's something I started I guess I was thinking it was like prototyping with my like how I work I kind of started in lockdown where I was like I can't do this the co-working spaces were open some of them so I started I, I uh, tried a few around Brighton so I've tested out a few um, and the skiff yeah really works for me but I've changed jobs during the pandemic and I moved back to Brighton so it's like reconfiguring my life and figuring out that balance between work and um, and home life and yeah so where is your role evolving like how do you see your your own sort of career development evolving or do you have like a job in mind or have you now got your dream job is is this it <laughs> I think I, I definitely prefer working in smaller organizations mm-hmm. just because you can be more agile by the nature of it um, and you're closer to the kind of people you're impacting that's why I like to work at Union Chapel so much um, I think I, I would love to find work in Brighton and kind of use some of the skills and experience that I kind of um, while you're always learning but try and use some of that to do more kind of like it's a buzzword at the minute like place-based design but like I really enjoy bringing people into the design process so like creating more engaging ways for people to participate in the design process because that it really enriches it so I've got like lots of side project ideas keep thinking about whether I could go down to four days a week but again the skiff is great for that because you're able to start making connections locally like even through the skiff newsletter someone read someone who's not in the skiff who read the newsletter um, and I did the one of the show and tell last time or the time before and there was a service designer too so I'm going to meet up for her with coffee so it's a really nice way of kind of starting yeah that's the other good thing about the gift for me it's like long term I'd love to find work in the local community and feel like I was really part of Brighton through my work as well so I'm thinking it's like a, a 
like starting to build that local work community. I don't know what will happen in the future, but I'd love to find work in Brighton and yeah. kind of be, yeah, there's lots of challenges in the world, aren't there? Climate change and all of this stuff. And I do think that kind of participatory design can can be part of the solution. So I, I'd love to find okay. a way of doing that. Amazing. Mm. You said um, that you have some side projects in your head, floating mm. around your head. <laughs> um, can we dig into those a little bit? Are they just ideas? Are they oh I wish one day what have you got to yeah, bubbling it's, away it's just around cycling I'm really passionate about cycling as a like a, a way not just because it's like all the, the ways they measure cycling is like oh it's good for your health it's good for air pollution stuff but actually I think it it transforms um the it's all the really like nuanced things that it does to people in cities and spaces that dial up like like t- social tolerance between people just because you make eye contact with pedestrians compared to when people are in cars and it, there's a brilliant f- d- film that was made in the Netherlands called Why We Cycle and it and it really deals with all of these all the, the kind of the nuanced benefits that you get from cycling um, anyway I'd love to do um, this project called Cycle Census because when we were doing the census a few years ago there's a question about does your household own a car and does it own a van? But there's nothing about bikes. And I was like, actually, if we need to plan our cities to be more climate resilient and all that stuff, like you need to know how many bikes we've got in our population and if they're cargo bikes and stuff, because that really impacts planning infrastructure, which is why they ask you about cars and vans, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd love to kind of, I was like, I'll just start small. I should just start it on my street, but do cycle census and, and but it, do it in a more ethnographic way, right? Every, I found, through other work I've done around cycling. Everyone's got a story about a bike. Like you just have a cycle helmet on the table and people will start telling you about the time they fell off their bike or something. So I'd love to just invite people. I guess you could do it through an Instagram channel, but also maybe do some more in-depth interviews like this with people and do some lovely portrait photography and then maybe show that as an exhibition, but that, and invite people to, you know, submit their picture of themselves and the story about their bike. Then, have an exhibition as a jumping off point for then doing some co-design and you could have a big map up on the wall and get people to be like this is my favourite bit to cycle because and you'd almost then start redesigning what Brighton would look mm. like for bikes but do it with people and if you gave everyone the chance to have that space for reflection and make the connection mm. to what it means to them if they could identify some areas maybe in Brighton that the council could improve mm. that they and they wouldn't have maybe taken that approach. So I really want to do that project because I think it's quite feasible to do. That um, sounds fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to do a quick round, a couple of quick round questions, if that's all right. Let's start with a very easy question. What's for lunch today? Oh, um, <laughs> I've got some some kind of like carrot split yellow pea doll thing that I made on the weekend. Are you a batch cooker? I am, yeah. I've only just discovered the joys of batch cooking and it's changed my life, like being able to go home after work and have dinner in five minutes because I I, I took a chilli out of the freezer that morning and it's like, yes, I've got dinner. Past me was so forward thinking. What did you do before? Oh, just cooked when I got home and just generally just went, oh, okay, what have I got in the fridge? Or have to run to the shop and buy something overpriced and stupid. Or get a takeaway. If you didn't live in Brighton, where you live now, where would you live? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Either up a mountain or by a beach. Any particular mountains or beaches or just uh, just those environments appeal? I don't know. I, mean, I, did, I did a couple of ski seasons, that's why we have a real affinity with like mountains and just waking up every day. I don't know, yeah, they're special. But 
I, I do love the beach in Brighton. I think being just like close to nature, but like really awe-inspiring nature that mm. kind of puts puts you in your place. Like you're just small. It's like <laughs> uh, someone once told me it's like good to go down to the beach sometimes if you're feeling really stressed or angry. Just chuck a stone in the sea, and it's like doesn't have much of an impact. And my final question is: if you could earn the same doing any job, what would you do? I don't know. I feel like I'd want to have a like. A, yeah, my favourite job was working at Union Chapel because it had a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. It had, yeah, it just had a bit of everything. You got to speak to all sorts of people from like Tom Jones to, we had homeless people because there was a homeless shelter there too, you know, so you got such diversity of people. And it was in person, but it had online stuff. And it was a beautiful building. I guess I'd like to be outdoors more though, like okay. doing the work with farmers. I'm kind of like, actually, it's really made me think I don't want a job where I sit in front of a desk Ooh. for the rest of my life. Yeah, being physical. But Union Chapel was good for that as well because I had to take the bar order in like twice a week, which was going up and down, like from the ground floor to the first floor with the whole bar order. <laughs> so that kept me fit as well. Um, I love jobs like that where yeah. on one hand you're like answering phone calls from like people and, and you know organising things and doing things and then also humping boxes upstairs. I think it's good for your brain like it just I felt like very on it and alive rather than some I think just sitting and looking at a screen all day I'm probably not my best self or I'm not as switched on. It's not no no and that idea of I love small organisations because it's very much a team and very mm. much a hands-on approach so I mean, that is what I like about GIF, like because it's a community yeah. and everyone kind of pitches in when stuff needs doing. It's not, yes, we, we pay and have a membership, but it doesn't feel transactional. It, it feels like we're all, we're all in this together. And I think that it, that is missing from lots of services. Speaking as a service designer, like I think when you just design for transactions, it, it's, you, you lose the kind of the magic and the atmosphere and the nuance that you can that can be designed into things and I think that's what we've got here. It's that community feel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And actually I think it's probably like a, a like a need that we all have that often gets designed out of things because they're just designed to be transactions and they kind of miss that kind of really basic need we all have to feel belonging. And you can find out more about Becky's work at beckymiller.co.uk. If you're interested in working alongside people like Becky and myself, head to theskiff.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Tales from the Engine Room, and we'll see you next time.